Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Now, Joseph, Joseph was a person like you and like me. Joseph was born like you and I were born. He was raised and like his own child would, he increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. We say Mary and Joseph as a pair, and we see his figurine in the nativities that we set up in our homes. I wonder, have you ever considered Joseph's life? Many biblical scholars assume that Joseph died sometime before Jesus did. He was not standing there at the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus. When Jesus spoke to that beloved disciple, saying that Mary would now be his mother, why would that have even been necessary if Joseph was still in the picture? Mary could have just gone home with Joseph. In the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus returns to his hometown to preach and to heal. And what do the people say? Isn't this Mary's son? Was Joseph still around? Still alive? Maybe not. People may infer that Joseph was older than Mary. Um, this was common in first century marriages. But hey, maybe this was Joseph's second marriage. Maybe Joseph had children from a previous marriage. And so Jesus wasn't, in fact, the oldest child in the house. Maybe Jesus had step-siblings. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus did have siblings, though we don't know their age. These are all interesting ideas. But truthfully, answering these questions is speculative. We don't really know. We want to know more about Joseph. And I'm going to settle the debate. Listen closely. Joseph did die before Jesus was even born. Joseph did die before Jesus was even born. Okay, now maybe he didn't literally die. 
but Joseph was someone who knew what it meant to die. He didn't know it all along. Joseph learned how to die, how to give himself away, how to forfeit his own life. And in this way, he truly embodied what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus, who said, pick up your crosses and follow me. Have you thought about that imagery? Pick up your crosses, a bid to come and die. I invite you to consider the crosses that Joseph bore as he learned to follow the true life giver and give away his own life. I'm going to talk about the crosses of, G of Joseph's plans, of Joseph's pain, and Joseph's reputation. If I was a real preacher, I would give you three Ps. Maybe I'd say Joseph's popularity. Alas, I'm not a real preacher, so we don't have... We don't have three Ps. We have Joseph's plans, Joseph's pain, and Joseph's reputation. The first cross that Joseph carried was the cross of his plans. Has anyone here ever made plans? Plans that didn't go the way you planned? Of course, we all have. The famous preacher Haddon Robinson said, you make decisions, and your decisions make you. That's my impression. <laughs> Sometimes you make plans, which then go to pieces, and your life is determined along the way. The old Yiddish proverb goes, we plan and God laughs. We plan and God laughs. The plan for Joseph was for a first century Jewish marriage. That was his plan. Our passage opens this way in verse 18. Let's read it together. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, or the ESV puts it this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus. Betrothal. There's an arrangement there, a pledge. A marriage by the books, which is to say a marriage according to the law of Moses. This is how they did it. This was a real marriage. This was a real covenant. This is the state of marriage that has been sealed but not yet consummated. The bride was still living under the roof of her parents. Betrothal at the time was more official than today's engagements in both the East and the West, um, which can be made and broken with a word. Not so in first century Judea. Severance of a betrothal, and we learn this here, required a divorce. You need a reason, and you need to file the right paperwork. It was real. And Mary and Joseph were betrothed. They really were. Joseph may have known Mary a little bit. He might have known her a lot. We don't know, but they planned to build a life together. They planned to have a family. They planned to enjoy one another through the years. But something happens. Let's continue in verse 18. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Even before G Joseph dreams his dream and the angel gives him more information than he had before, Joseph dies a death. His plans are changed. The death of being betrayed means a loss of trust. The presumption of innocence, purity, chastity, whatever you might call it, is gone. It's a movement from believing you knew the person, feeling like you could trust the person, to not knowing 
what you know anymore, doubting everything you thought you knew. It's a de defense mechanism, but we fill in the blanks with the, the worst of the worst. If they deceived me, well, they are the liar, and I am no fool. But consider this. This was God's plan for Joseph, these ordering of events, to die a first death before disclosing to him information that would change the total situation, the total equation, to bear the cross of plans abandoned, trust lost, a relationship severed, I'm curious to know who told Joseph the news and what advice they gave him when they told him. Was it Mary's family as they begged that the marriage might proceed? Was it Mary herself who begged that Joseph would still trust her? Here we see Joseph die his first death, carrying his first cross. His plans change and so he adapts to the situation. Let's read this in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. To divorce her quietly, or as the NASB puts it, to, he planned to send her away secretly. Joseph, in this, is, is sober and solemn after he discovers that his betrothed, his fiancée, is pregnant. You know, one possible response to pain is to lick one's lips and dream of just dessert. Now, I'm not talking about the sort of dessert that comes after dinner. I'm talking about justice and the meeting out of punishment. I'm talking about giving a person what they deserve. One response to being hurt and betrayed is to dig your keys into the side of his pretty little picked up pick up four-wheel drive to carve your name into his leather seats. In the first century, you, you didn't have to try too hard to ruin a person's life. The community around you had that kind of power. The court of public opinion conveyed, convened every morning on every market corner, every street, every dinner table. Joseph knew a thing or two about public disgrace. He understood that some things could cause shame, a loss of face, a loss of reputation that could last a lifetime. He understood that there were ways to end a marriage that would expose Mary to this sort of public disgrace. He understood that communities will eye you up from the moment of conception and make their minds up about the sort of life they can expect from you. They chart the trajectory you make which becomes the juice of gossip. They choose, but jo Joseph chooses to protect Mary from this rather than, than throw her to the wolves. Joseph had a mind to divorce her quietly, we learn. Divorce, for reasons of an unchastity, is, is a faithful tradition in first century Judea. Jesus even teaches it. Although he, he adds that, that in a typical Jesus fashion, that one little thing that, well, Moses only put this in the law because you had hard hearts. Now I'm reading between the lines here when I'm thinking about Joseph's pain. The text makes no indication that Joseph had these feelings and, and maybe God supernaturally spared him from the full extent of, of this pain. And maybe, maybe betrayal in a betrothal marriage was a little bit different than a betrothal in a, uh, or the, than a betrayal in a 
an, an actual like consummated marriage, maybe it's not genuinely as devastating as it could have been, as it would have been for someone like Hosea, who had a wife and a family with the person who betrayed him. But somehow I imagine there was pain for Joseph in this. Um, pain that he had to die to. This second death. Joseph had to go see a counselor. He had to go work out his feelings at a rock gym. Joseph had to die a second death. Joseph's pain is the second cross he bears. And he bore three crosses. The cross of his plans changed. The cross of his pain faithfully navigated without revenge all before he bore those two all before knowing that Mary was true faithful to the promises she made to him there's that key word in verse 20 right after right after let's read that but after he considered this the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and gave him some new information. The angel said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I wonder if the Lord has ever communicated to you in a dream. Many of us wish that the Lord would communicate to us so personally and directly, but perhaps we don't wish that the Lord would make such a big ask of us that he made of Joseph that day. Joseph's reputation, the third death, the third cross. Because of God's command, the third cross that Joseph carried was the cross of his reputation. Joseph moved from a place where even in divorce, uh, neither he nor Mary would be in the spotlight of public chatter, town banter, susceptible to the loss of reputation and status. He moved from that place to a, one where he was susceptible to reproach. Both of them would be. And this cross, this little death, the martyrdom of reputation, came with the comforting hope from the angel. Joseph, do not be afraid. Joseph, do not be afraid. One of our, our, our great comforts, and one of <laughs> perhaps our greatest discomforts, is the reality that God might have an opinion of us. Have you thought about that? God might have an opinion of you. It's such a shallow foundation to, to measure our success in life based on the opinions of our neighbors, and our friends, or of public opinion. There is nothing permanent or secure in the court of public opinion. I mean, just look at the state of the British Parliament. The past five years have shown resignation after resignation, votes of loss of confidence, accusations of misdeeds, and more. So why are we so insecure that we run after the approval of dust? Of people that Isaiah says are like the grass, here today and gone tomorrow. And why are we so prone to diminish the significance of that audience of the only eternal court? There's a balance to be struck here, I think. Because culture and reputation have the potential to do good. Some jobs, positions, responsibilities require a solid reputation. It is a good thing that reputation exists. I mean, you want to avoid entrusting just anybody to major jobs like running the CDC. Um, or to head up uh, the, the charter of Billy Graham Ministries. 
the culture around us will get it right sometimes. Um, as it's meant to. It's meant to make us to feel, it's meant to feel good to rest in the security of reputation. It's meant to push us to live blameless lives, develop reputations for wisdom and prudence. These are good things. But if you are ever asked, um, like Joseph or like Peter was before, before that serving girl, to choose between your reputation and that reputation by proxy, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I beg you to choose the latter. Some crossroads we are called to take may in fact ask us to lay down parts of our reputation. Your colleagues knowing you're a Christian, for example, at work. Being unwilling to add your name to a proposal that isn't just or good. But that might make a significant impact on your career tra trajectory sticking your neck out. <laughs> it was not just J Joseph. Um, excuse me. J Joseph chose not um, to focus on his reputation by casting Mary out before the wolves, before the lions. But what's more telling in this story is that he stays by her side. What he did in this is he minimized the impact on Mary. He minimized the impact on their future family. I mean, you could say perhaps he knew there would be shame, some degree of it at least. He knew there would be talking. People in first century Judea were all up in one another's spaces. People would know that Joseph went from being an unmarried dude living with his family to now having a wife with a belly. Mary was pregnant. She was physically pregnant. Um, I don't know how else they knew at that time. Um, and what would the presumption be? Either Joseph was responsible for this, or he wasn't, right? If he was, well, he shared in her guilt. If he wasn't, well, did he even read Deuteronomy? I mean, Joseph bore the cross of the town talk. That's his third cross that we see in this the crosses of his plans changed and pain before he got the new information that, that he was not betrayed. The cross of reputation. I recently came across this book about St. John of the Cross, which proposes three stages of giving our lives away as we grow in discipleship. The first stage is called essential discipleship. During this phase, we hear Jesus, he calls us to follow him, and we set out on that path. We may be asked to give away parts of ourselves, and God refines us through this, burning away pride, burning away that sense of our need to be important as we learn to accept his lordship, that he has claim over our choices, accepting that we're small and that we need him and others in our lives. The second phase they call mature discipleship, um, where we gradually learn to give our lives away in service to others. This is what Joseph does throughout this passage. Joseph shows, shows maturity in this faith, willing to be, uh, willing to keep his faith paramount. I, I, one, one thing that's so striking to me, and I, I'm not sure I fully understand and can get in, inside the head and the world of Joseph in this, but 
he adds a third step to that whole marriage transaction in verse 25. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. I mean, consummation usually occurs synchronously with, with taking a bride home. In this case, Joseph waited to consummate their marriage until she had given birth. Um, I mean, that shows the, the extent of his desire to be faithful. And we saw in this passage three ways that he died a, an early death. Um, according to St. John of the Cross, the final stage of growth in radical discipleship is learning to give our deaths away. He calls that radical discipleship, giving our deaths away, seeking to bless others in our death and our dying. Um, and I wonder if we can think about this in, in incremental steps as well as in ultimate sense. Um, in a song by John Foreman, he, wrote, he writes this, um, all along, I thought I was learning how to take, how to bend, not how to break, how to laugh, not how to cry. But really, I've been learning how to die. That's his conclusion in the song. Really, I've been learning how to die. Perhaps this is true, as St. John of the Cross suggests. I mean, we would mature in life just as God designed it by, by, by accepting the invitations to, to go deeper uh, into the heart of life itself. I mean, here's the Christ paradoxical invitation to life, and that it's only in dying that one is raised to eternal life. I mean, there's the paradoxical invitation to life. Die to live. It's only because Joseph died these deaths that he led the life uh, that he led. I mean, jo Joseph's initial motivations to leave Mary being faithful to the law, not wanting to disgrace, uh, dis, uh, expose Mary to public disgrace, fear about his own reputation. These motivations shift as he receives a new direction in his life, a direction that, that no one else heard. And, 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 and likely few people would believe him that an angel communicated this. Joseph didn't just take the angel's words under advisement. Joseph immediately changed course. Joseph's self-denial and his death-bound obedience, rather than his, his self-assertion, are, are the only things that brought him to the nativity. I want you to think about that. The nativity would have happened whether or not Joseph was there. He wasn't the biological father. Mary was supporting Jesus' life. The nativity didn't depend on him. And here's the thing, it doesn't depend on us either. But there's a gift for both him and us in it. The lesson of Joseph's life disrupted is that self-denial is the way to encounter God's gift to us on Christmas. Now, there is something else in this passage which points to Christ that I want to close with. It's a, the time-honored Jewish tradition to, to embed a name with significance. And so as we close, I, I want to uh, focus on these names which point us to Christ and the work of Christ. Our passage includes the divine naming of this child. Two names, Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus was a popular boy's name at the time. Uh, it's the, the, the same Hebrew name as Joshua. Um, and it's reminiscent of the Joshua, the famous Joshua that, that brought Israel into the promised land. And, and this is what we are told to take from that. 
Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is like Joshua in that he will rescue his people, but he is not bringing us from the slavery of Egypt. He is rescuing us from our sins, the slavery of sin. And then we get the name Emmanuel. And in absolute contrast to the popularity of Jesus in the day, Emmanuel was not a popular name. In fact, it was not a title given to anyone else. And be, we could say that perhaps because it was so bold that no one would dare to name their child this. It means God with us. The story in these names, Jesus and Emmanuel, are Messiah, they, they can't be overstated. Because at Christmas, God showed us that he does not keep a distance from us in our brokenness, in our sin. In fact, God comes to us. And God has the power to heal, to forgive, to save. He has the power to bring us near and to keep us near. In fact, God with us is the bookended message of the, the book of Matthew. It frames the whole book. It's that promise in the Great Commission at the very end of Matthew. God, born a baby on Christmas Day, who lives and dies and takes away the sin of the world, the sin of everyone who believes, will never leave us. God with us. God will never leave us. God is near. God is here. Whether or not Joseph was alive at the time of Jesus' death or alive at the time of the words of the Great Commission, it matters not. I mean, what matters is that Joseph did not meet death the first time when he was literally dying. Joseph... He found a vocation in giving his life up to find life in Christ. And when we follow Joseph, that, that is the invitation. Joseph's life disrupted. Death-framed life. That's the shape of the journey to Christmas, where we meet heaven's eternal life, that life that defeated the grave and puts everything, including death, in its place. Only Emmanuel, only Jesus, can do that. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus, our Emmanuel. I thank you that you are near. And I asked, have we thought of what your opinion is of us? And I thank you that you tell us your opinion of us in scripture, that you love us, that you sing over us, that in fact, when we sing to you, you are delighted. You look on us with love, and I thank you that through Christ we can come to you in confidence, without fear of reproach, and I thank you that your opinion of us is really the opinion that counts. So I pray that we would be inspired to follow after Joseph, who did not esteem his life as too great, but laid it down time after time. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.